Human beings were created with the need to communicate. Can you agree with me there? We all have some innate longing within us to convey our thoughts, our ideas, our emotions, our feelings, and so forth, albeit some of us more than others. Some people may believe they have no need to communicate, uh, but in complete isolation, they soon realize their desperate need. Uh, Someone was talking to me just this morning about what a blessing it is to be around people. We all have a native tongue, a native language, okay? For most of us in this room, it's English. But we have some people that Spanish is their native tongue. We have some people in our congregation that Filipino is their native tongue. For others, it's Chinese, French, Russian, German, you know, Pig Latin, I don't know. I mean, you know, Michael Higginbotham's native language is Pig Latin, isn't it? Or is it Klingon? (laughs) Many who are deaf speak natively some kind of sign language, okay? They pick up a a language like ASL being taught, but natively they go ahead and try to gesture and sign, and these are called home signs. So they can speak ASL, pidgin, French sign language, home sign, whatever. Which is simply using make you know this home sign is making up creative ways to communicate, um, and I'm sure you've heard the story of a lady by the name of Helen Keller. Who have you who has heard of Helen Keller? Okay, very popular. What well, 19 months old illness left her both deaf and blind until she was seven years old and was introduced to ants. See, I'm just going to try to do this without <laughs> choking up. This is dear to my heart. My wife is um, um, a um, she is a um, deaf education. Um, she has her master's deaf education. Has worked with the deaf, and it's very dear to us. But until she was seven years old, Helen Keller was introduced to Ann Sullivan, who took the challenge to teach that a person that society said was unteachable. She didn't even know that words existed. Can you imagine that? She did not even know that words existed. She was trapped in a dark and silent existence with no way to interact with the world around her. Helen would later call the day she met Anne Sullivan, my soul's birthday. With Anne's assistance, she not only became aware of language, but consumed her learning with a fierce passion. She found her, quote, quote, voice and chose, it, and chose to use it for good. This deaf-blind woman, whom the world had given up on, went on to become a world-famous author, political activist, lecturer, and it has inspired millions of people across the globe. As I mentioned, we all have, as humans, a native tongue. But that native tongue is actually not the language you grew up speaking. As a matter of fact, we all don't speak in native tongues, but in truth, we all speak the same native tongue. But we've actually forgotten what it was and what it is. And what do I mean? So I want you to... Put that on the shelf, or as the guy from, uh, I think, Bolt would say, put a pin in it right there. (laughs) Let's push pause for a moment, 
and look at the Torah portion before we come back to this. So this week's Torah portion is Pinchas. Pinchas opens by continuing the story of Pinchas that we read about at the end of the last week's Torah portion. And if you remember, the story of Pinchas Acts is the conclusion of a problem that Israel had with Balak and Bilam, the Moabites and the Midianites. Zimri, an Israelite woman, uh, excuse me, an Israelite man, and Cosby, a Midianite woman, had decided to flaunt their pagan revelry in front of the tent of meeting. Pinchas, son of Eleazar, Eleazar, slew them both together, thus ending the plague that had raged within Israel. Okay, you guys got the picture right there. And immediately following this, we read Hashem's instruction to Israel. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and strike them down, for they have harassed you with their wiles, which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the chief of Midian, their sister, who was killed on the day of the plague on account of Peor. This is Numbers 25, 16 through 18 in this week's Torah portion. <clears throat> but Hashem repeats this instruction in a similar fashion, a little bit different, at the beginning of next week's Torah portion. <clears throat> and he says this, Avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward, you, you shall be gathered to your people. And he's talking to Moses. So Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. There's a lot of stuff we could go into here. I'm going to try to keep this as brief as possible. But right at the turn of the 20th century in 1899, Rabbi Shalom Dovber who is called the Rashab of Lubavitch, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, wrote a booklet by the name of Hechaltsu, based on this passage. Okay? Hechaltsu, the work is based on this one passage. The word Hechaltsu is from the, word, from the root word Chalatz, which means to arm for war. Hashem tells Moshe to arm the Israelites for war against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance. This has a strange twist here in just a second. This war was one of the last commandments that the Lord gave to Moses, and his connection to Moses finishing his work, his life's work, as it says, avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites, and afterward you will be gathered to your people. It was crucial that Moses accomplish this before his death so that the, he would be able to enter into his eternal rest and peace. Now, according to Jewish tradition, the name Midian is etymologically, etymologically related to the Hebrew word Midon. I'm sorry, Madon, uh, which means strife or quarreling. Okay? So... Picture this. We have Madon, which means strife or quarreling. We have the Midianites in Midian. And Hashem says, wage war on Midian. So Midian in this passage represents what? Division, strife, quarreling. Rabbi Dovber says, Midian expresses itself through separation and division. Baseless hatred, hatred and disunity between hearts. So my question is, isn't this what we're seeing all around us today? 
all around us. It's been the focus of our news media and our, t- our table conversations. <clears throat> this is what Rabbi spoke on a few weeks ago. Actually, he's spoken to some degree on it for several weeks. Lance sort of touched on it last week, and he spoke in the conclusion of us sacrificing self for the sake of community. We have political tensions, racial tensions, family tensions, and everything in between, and the media thrives on it. Okay. Rather than waging war on Midian, we've made it our capital. So, I'm going to go back. How does this relate, relate to a forgotten language that we all speak? Over the last few weeks, I've been inspired by a band that I'd heard long, I mean, I've you know, heard for years and years called Switchfoot. You guys may be familiar with Switchfoot. Their latest album from 2019 is called Native Tongue. And here's some lyrics from the title track. Sing it to me, whisper into my ear. Accusers' voices start to disappear. In the wind, in the tongues of flame, in my soul, in my one true name. Oh, back before we learned the words to start a fight. Back before they told us that the haters were right. He spoke the truth, let there be, and there was... Love is the language. Love is your native tongue. I want the world to sing in her native tongue, to sing it like when we were young, to s- back before the pendulum had swung to the shadows. I want the world to sing in her native tongue. Maybe we could learn to sing along, to find a way to use our lungs for love and not the shadows. When God spoke the world into being, he molded man with his hands And he did so with love. He blew into the nostrils of man his breath of life because of love. Love was the reason for his entire creation. But we have long forgotten this reason. Here's a parable. There was once a child who was raised in a village in East Kameg, a district in the Indian state of Arunachal Pradesh, India. He grew up speaking Koro, a rare language indigenous to his district with fewer than 1,000 people speaking the language. Around the age of 10 years old, he lost his parents. and He was adopted by Americans, flown to the United States, and raised from that point into an English-only speaking home. As the years go by, his koro, his native language, is all but forgotten. Then, one day as an older man, he hears someone speaking in koro. Hearing the words bring back a flood of memories and emotions. Although he can't necessarily reply because he's lost so much of the language, he realizes he can understand the meanings of the words. Even though this sounds like a foreign tongue to him, he knows innately the meaning. Even though his koro has long been forgotten, it's his native tongue, and it will always resonate deep within him. Love is the language we've forgotten, but it resonates within us whenever we hear it spoken. 
This is why the world is obsessed with romance novels and movies, and they have become a cheap substitute for genuine love. We're looking for, for, we're, we are looking for others who speak our language, but never realizing we're speaking the language of ego and exile rather than our native tongue. This is why so many people flock to radical groups that do so much damage to society. They think they're speaking their native language, but it's the wrong language. It's the language of hate and division rather than love. They want a revolution, but the revolution is based on segregation rather than unity. If we want to start a real, lasting, and meaningful revolution, however, all we have to do is change our language. We must begin by speaking in our native language of love. Because waging war on Midian means waging war on division and baseless hatred. So this is my appeal. We must make an all-out effort to wage war on Midian, especially now in a world of hatred, division, and ego. I would like for you to join me in that war. Are we speaking the language of exile, or are we speaking our native tongue? We can speak in the foreign language of strife, bitterness, and division, or we can speak in our native tongue of love. You know, I think we all have noble intentions. We really want to get along with people. We want to love people. We want to do what's right. But many times when we're hurt, when we're offended, what's our our natural response? Fight or flight? We want self-preservation, protection, rather than deference and vulnerability. Rather than working towards reconciliation... We justify retaliation. Rather than saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, we say, may God have mercy on your soul as we execute our self-determined justice. We speak in the language of exile. You know, sometimes it's difficult to love people. Some people are just very difficult to love. That's just a fact. Speaking about the early disciples, Messianic Jewish pioneer Paul Philip Levertov wrote this. Love was the essential and characteristic keynote of the Messianic fellowship. The Messiah, talking about Yeshua, is a personification of divine love. He showed us what real love is. Therefore, to imitate him means to love as he did. Let's be honest. As I said, some loving some people is difficult. You know who they are. We all have different people that are difficult to love in our lives. <clears throat> they know how to push our buttons. They know how to get on our last nerve and so forth. They know how to make life miserable for us. They know how to... Um, work to get us in trouble at the job and even when we're innocent or whatever. I mean, whatever your situation is, you know who I'm talking about. Our immediate and unfiltered reaction to these people is to give them a taste of their own medicine. But we, as disciples of Yeshua, have a higher calling than that. 
We're called to be a reflection of Yeshua, as this quote from Levertov said. And this requires the difficult task of what is called betul in Hebrew, self-nullification. John said it probably the, the most comprehensive when he was talking about Yeshua, John the Immerser. He said, I must decrease so that he would increase, right? And I think that needs to be really the call of all of Yeshua's disciples. And I'm the first to admit it. I must decrease so that he must so that he would increase. Recently I came across this quote on Twitter. I thought it was great and I wanted to share it. If you're the main character of your story, then that means you'll evaluate anything that happens by its effect on you. Let me read that again. If you're the main character of your story, then that means you'll evaluate anything that happens by its effect on you. But if Jesus, if Yeshua is the main character in your story, then in everything that happens, you'll ask, how can this contribute to his story? Pretty good, huh? What a true statement. When life is about me, life will always be a disappointment. Things will not be good enough. Things will not be right enough. Things, people cannot do enough to please me because ego and self are all-consuming. And when things go wrong, I'm just going to blame God. When things go right, I'm going to take credit for myself. But when life is about Yeshua, then we can face even the most difficult of circumstances, knowing that, quote, for those who love God, all things work together. No, Paul said in Romans 8, 28. But what about these difficult people? <clears throat> Paul gave us instructions on how to deal with these difficult people. He said in Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no, no one evil for evil. This is a good thing to teach your kids. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you. I want to emphasize that right there. So far in, as, as far as it depends on you, if possible, live peaceably with all. There are some people you'll, you won't be able to do that, unfortunately. That's why we have, you know, life experiences that we have with people killing one another and so forth. But if we try, if we give our best ever and pray and ask Hashem for help, He will help us as much as He allows. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for His written vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Some of you guys have studied Pirkei Avot with us. In Pirkei Avot, the great sage Hillel taught his students, become a disciple of Aharon, of Aaron, a lover of peace, a pursuer of peace, one who loves the creatures and draws them to the Torah. Now, this is interesting because he, he, he doesn't say one who loves his fellow man, one who loves his neighbor, one who loves his brother, right? He says one who loves the creatures. And the um, word used here is habriot. 
And the Lubavitcher Rebbe taught that it was used for a specific reason. Of all the words that could have been spoken, that could have been chosen to speak of man or mankind, this term represents the lowest common denominator of human existence. Okay? This basically means that that is a breathing individual. <laughs> There's nothing meritorious about this person whatsoever. They simply exist. They breathe. It implies there's not necessarily any redeeming quality of this type of person, save that of being a creature who was brought into existence by the Creator. It's easy to love people who add value to our lives, isn't it? I mean, somebody blesses you, somebody praises you, somebody helps you, somebody benefits you somehow. It's easy to love those people. Conversely, it's difficult to it's difficult to love people who do not add value to our lives, especially those who make life more burdensome. The lesson here, however, is to love everyone no matter their perceived value that we place upon them. We are, love, we are to love others simply because they're made in the image of God. So pulling from the Torah, Yeshua has taught his disciples, love your neighbor as yourself. And we've taught that and taught that and taught that and taught that, right? But then he was asked the question, but... If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? And his response was the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this parable, he basically taught the person asking him that even non-Jews were, were the neighbor deserving of the same love he would give his Jewish brother. And so we all contain, uh, excuse me, we all have certain people we're closer to than others. But we should, uh, but we shouldn't separate ourselves from certain people or slander them simply because they are not like us. So think about this: black, white, Asian, Hispanic. We look different. We speak different languages. A lot of us. But guess what? We all speak the same language if we would take time to listen. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to belittle. It's easy to find fault. The challenge is to find the good, to find the common ground, to listen closely to the other person so that we can hear when they unconsciously slip into their native tongue. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 13. This is a good reminder to hear this again. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We have marriages that end all the time, right? But love never ends. This is something that I was taught as a young man before I ever got married that, that has 
made our marriage what it is today, which is a beautiful, beautiful marriage, that it is not your love that will make your commitment last, but it's your commitment that will make your love last. And so when Paul says love never ends, I think that's along the lines of what he means. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is, help me out, love. As Levertov said, being disciples of Yeshua, we should be known for our love. Rather than our sharp tongues, our criticism, or our ability to win an argument. As Switchfoot sings, we should be finding a way to use our tongues for love and not the shadows. I want to conclude by tying this back to a prophecy from the book of Zephaniah. It says that one day we will all return to speak a single pure language. Zephaniah 3.9 says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure language, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Now there's a lot of evidence in this text about that literal spoken language being Hebrew that I don't have time to go into right now. However, I'd like you to draw, to draw your attention to the last part of the verse. It says, La'avdo shechem echad. With one accord. Literally, with one shoulder. We might say shoulder to shoulder, something like that. This is how we fight the war on Midian. Shoulder to shoulder as one man. Does this language sound familiar? Are you remembering something long forgotten? Maybe it's because I'm speaking your native tongue. Our sages teach, words from the heart enter the heart. When we stop speaking the language of exile and begin speaking in our native tongue, it resonates with everyone around us. They draw to it like a moth to the flame. It's irresistible. Let's change our language. Let's stop speaking the language of exile. Return to our native tongue. Let's uh, remember... It's the forgotten language, but everyone understands it because love is our native tongue. If we can do something that is as innocuous as change our language to use our lungs for love and not the shadows, we may just change the world. Who knows? Why don't you join me and let's try. Amen? Shabbat Shalom. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.